0: This is a podcast from Minute Media. I'm solid to the crack never changed me and my son of rain. It can swap when we hang. I'm solid to touch the blue part of the fire, blue part of the fire. And I just want to roll with those. Welcome in this to this season the night. fire. The sports comedy podcast that screenshots every time a baseball is a half inch outside the fake strike zone box and demands whoever's responsible feel shame. I'm your host, Adam Weiner, but you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, mentioned in the three seconds of the World Series broadcast that aren't an ad for a betting app, and broadcasting live from Pete Davidson's New York. Big show today, actress and baseball diehard Ellen Adair joins me to talk hate watching this World Series ahead of game six. But first, let's take a quick trip through the midweek headlines. Happy Halloween weekend, everybody. Plenty of your favorite sports stars went as the scariest things you could imagine. Miles Garrett dressed as someone stuck in Cleveland. 19,000 announcers, coaches, and senators went as Ted Lasso. Eric Mangini went as coach Nate. Michigan head coach Jim Harbaugh went as a man signing a contract extension. Jose Altuve would love to show you his costume, but he's too shy. The Denver Broncos traded superstar pass rusher Von Miller to the Los Angeles Rams, but the trade might fall apart when John Elway realizes he received two scribbled on pieces of paper that say, I owe you one draft pick. Miller will join Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey on the most talented defense that's ever had to explain away Matthew Stafford's injury struggles. PETA has announced a proposal to rename the bullpen the Arm Barn. People were immediately furious, not because of the proposal, but because PETA came up with a legitimately great idea. Although I thought an Arm Barn was where Braves fan farmers did the tomahawk chop. Of course, much conversation has been had about the chop this World Series, and a lot of people have responded with, well, I've never heard an actual Native American complain about it. Yeah, your ancestors did a pretty good job silencing that conversation ahead of time. Former President Donald Trump attended Game 4 in Atlanta and did the chop along with the crowd, all part of his foolproof plan to lose Georgia by only 10,000 votes next time. Trump seemed to enjoy doing the chop, but couldn't figure out the reason behind bringing the hand down. Think about it. He wants to keep the hand up. In Game 5, Zach Granke became the last pitcher in MLB history to get a hit in a World Series game. Granke celebrated by blinking twice, then daydreaming about shredded wheat. Carson Wentz was back to his old tricks, throwing two crucial interceptions, including a shovel pass in a gutting home loss to the Tennessee Titans. After the game, Wentz admitted he threw one of the picks backhanded after doing his own research on how passes work. Colts fans took the loss pretty well because they've been unwittingly conditioned to this nonsense for weeks, another form of ineffective herd immunity. Potential NFL MVP Derrick Henry unfortunately suffered a Jones fracture in his foot during the win that might knock him out for the season. He suffered the injury tying his shoe when he accidentally stiff-armed his own foot into oblivion. For those who don't know, a Jones fracture is a fracture of the bone in the pinky toe side of your foot, and a Julio Jones fracture is when your entire body is fractured. Henry's MVP campaign is now over, which opens the door for Russell Wilson to finally, ah, sorry, Russ. Jets backup quarterback Mike White defeated the 5-2 Cincinnati Bengals in the biggest upset of the weekend. White is in his fourth season, while top pick starter Zach Wilson is in his final season. Needing just a field goal to win it in the final minutes, Tom Brady instead threw a pick six in a loss to backup Trevor Simeon and the New Orleans Saints. Brady's Bucks are still in a pretty good position despite the loss, sitting at 6-2 and having the 27 best players in the NFL on the active roster. Cowboys quarterback Cooper Rush started a Dak Prescott's place on Sunday Night Football. If you've never heard of Cooper Rush, it's that era right after the Gold Rush, when everyone was heading west to make barrels. No, that's obviously not true. It's the name of your 14-year-old daughter's boyfriend who smells like flannel and whippets. Of course, that's a joke as well. It's the lead singer of Rush. The Cooper Rush to Amari Cooper game-winning touchdown was the first in NFL history where the passer's first name and receiver's last name are an exact match. Although extremely close to accomplishing this, Joe Montana to Margaret Cho. Just a CJ swap. Also, Steve Young to Young Thug, Johnny Unitas to the United States Military, and Bart Starr to a young Beyonce on Star Search. Girls' Time was the name of that group. They went by Girls' Time. And Falcons wide receiver Calvin Ridley announced he was stepping away from football to work on his mental health. Said Falcons fans, wait for us. That's it. Coming up, actress, Phillies fan, and baseball watcher, Ellen Adair on this extremely detestable World Series and how to cope with it. I am here with actress, frequent podcast guest, and baseball fan, as well as a Phillies fan, specifically Ellen Adair. And uh, Ellen, I called you on because you made a note that you were hate watching this World Series. We're approaching game six. I'm not sure if it's gotten any more or less detestable, but thanks for stopping by to talk me through exactly how this experience has been uh, watching the Houston Astros and Atlanta Braves battle two teams that I think most people are not fans of.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the tweet that actually connected us was that I said, watching this World Series felt like watching a battle between my ex-boyfriend and the person who used to kick my dog and dump me in a trash can as a child. And yeah, that's sort of been the experience for me. It's not been great. Like I I thought... I'll watch it and I'll find eventually that I'm rooting for somebody. And I haven't found that to be the case. (laughs) yet.
0: That was, yeah, that was something I wanted to talk about. I I mean, we can talk about the specifics of the series and momentum changing a little bit, um, but you have not picked a side. And with game six approaching, it kind of seems like you won't be picking a side.
1: Yeah. I don't think I'll be picking a side. Although here's what I will say is that I have found that I am rooting for Atlanta to lose more than I'm rooting for Houston to lose. So maybe that's an answer, but I don't feel like it's that I am rooting for the Astros. My husband had a clever idea in which he said, well, I'm just gonna root for whoever is the home team, because in that case, then we don't need to see the fan base excited and that perhaps there's even a little bit of schadenfreude in seeing the fan base be sad and witness their team lose and i i get i get it that's good on the other hand that ultimately well obviously hasn't happened and would end up with atlanta winning which is i think not the outcome that i want
0: <laughs> yeah so i mean it's again it's not a rooting for it's a rooting against but you've ended up theoretically being more comfortable with one of the two outcomes
1: Yeah, I guess so, which just feels terrible, feels really terrible. There's no, there's no, it's one of those situations, you know, sometimes in life, you come to a fork in the road, and you're like, there's no good choice here. I've got to, I've got to make a bad choice. And that's this World Series.
0: <laughs> I depressingly sympathize with this more than you could ever know. I Maybe this is the time to reveal that I am a New York Yankees fan, which is not a fun thing. People don't like to hear that. And I'm sure that's not pleasant to hear. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, I was raised on
1: a fundamentalist hatred of the Yankees. And so I'm aware that this is going to be the podcast entitled Ellen Makes Friends with Nobody. <laughs>
0: I will, I mean, I accept Yankee hatred. I. 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 It makes more sense to hate them than to be a fan of them. But with that in mind, I just encountered, you know, Red Sox, Astros and the ALCS and sort of felt like I was going to take the same position of this is terrible for me. This is obviously the worst case scenario for me since the, you know, the Red Sox and Mets can't play in a ALCS of any kind. So before the World Series, this is probably the worst thing that could happen. But by yeah. game You know, by the end of game one, when I was watching Carlos Correa point at his wrist and the Mm -hmm. Astros do what they'd done to us so many times to the Red Sox, I was pretty fervently in the Astros over Red Sox corner just because it felt nice to watch the Red Sox lose a typical Astros series after having lost so many. So I think my my follow up there to you is that is the, the unique hatred you feel for a division rival. Does it really outweigh any other form of sports hatred? Because for me, it definitely did. And it was sort of this schadenfreude of being like, you know, in 2017 and 2019, the Yankees got beaten by Correa over and over again. Altuve got them in clutch situations. And so when you watch the Astros do that to the Red Sox, it was like, are you guys enjoying it? Are you guys enjoying what you were rooting for a couple of times recently? Because I certainly kind of am.
1: Yeah, totally. No, I understand that. No, my nickname for uh, Correa is Mr. Teeth, Mm -hmm. because I feel like he's always showing off his dental work, like every single shot of him. He's just like, anyway, uh, that's just me and my weird nicknames for baseball players. Yeah, it's not necessarily just a division rival, uh, but I... Though I, I mentioned that I was, I was raised on a fundamentalist hatred of the Yankees. This was inculcated in me by my parents. But I developed an antipathy for Atlanta all on my own, given that when I was a very young person, they were just so constantly good that I hated them. You know, the like the Smoltz, Maddox, Glavin teams just constantly Steamrolled my heart, and people are always like, "How can you not love Chipper Jones?" And I'm like, "If he was always destroying your dreams as a child, like that's how you cannot love Chipper Jones." So, I think that that's that's one aspect of it, right? It's it's like a, a lifelong antipathy for this particular franchise, and then there's also the difficulty of, uh, I guess the other aspects of the brand, right, and the way that they quote, and I'm quoting here, activate their brand, mm-hmm. and it's just, ah, uh, it's very, very hard not to hate it, um, and and oh, and many other things, you know. For example, the sort of the their racist decision to move the stadium to the suburbs, Mm -hmm. saying that it was a transportation issue. Whereas it's like, as a matter of fact, the transportation issue is now for the black people who live in Atlanta, who literally cannot get to the stadium by public transportation anymore. That is the situation that you're creating. So it's, it's, it's not just the chop. um, But I feel like it's just it's a different. So there's these layers. And I feel like, should any Atlanta fans happen to be listening to this podcast. Like you can feel good about the fact that my original hatred is rooted in like how good your team was and like made the post-season seemingly every single year for like 20 years. That's how it felt. Those are emotional numbers. Um, that's part of it. And then uh, definitely the, yeah, just like the fact that it's a racist team name and that the fans are, are just so, Not all of them, but many of them are really like entrenched in insisting upon like adding the racist chop and chant on top of it. Yeah, it makes it very, very hard to root for.
0: Yeah, I think that like there was a version of this World Series going in where you could say to yourself that like, okay, you know, the players aren't one, like they're not intrinsic with the fans. The fans can do whatever they want to, and you can still appreciate the players on the field. But then you actually get like the games are on television. And by game three, you've got Fox broadcast glory shots of the chop. You have the realization that they're pumping the music into the stadium and putting it on the scoreboard, which like you could make the argument that No, the fans are going to do what they're going to do. It's not the organization, but it clearly is the organization at this point. Yeah,
1: it's both. It's both. Yeah. And it's hard because, I mean, to your point, neutrally, I actually like a lot of the players for Atlanta. You know, like if you don't like Freddie Freeman and... You know, who I've always said leads the league in W.O.B.C. plus weighted on base conversation list. Uh, <laughs> and and like if you don't love Ronald Acuna as humans and baseball players, there's something wrong with you. And there's also a lot of players on the team that I love because they haven't been on the team long enough that I still don't have the sort of like solely Atlanta association with them. Like I just love Charlie Morton and Jorge Soler and Eddie Rosario. And. Yeah. I mean, though, honestly, the Charlie Morton injury, I was really like, man, screw this World Series. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, but I think that there are there are players to love on the Astros as well. Like, I mean, uh, just I want every single podcast, baseball podcast ever to feature some discussion of Zach Grinke because he's just so delightful and enjoyable. And, you know, like a number of their pitchers, like A, weren't on the 2017 team and also our pitchers and, you know, Kyle Tucker never hit a trash can probably. So like there are, there are players, there are players to like on both sides, although there are certainly, there are more players to neutrally like Uh, for Atlanta, but it's just, I just can't root for the franchise. I just can't.
0: Yeah. They have done a they have done, I mean, either a horrible or extremely effective job of reminding you who they are all the season (laughs) long. Um, It's been no secret. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, The only saving grace, I I will present you with a saving grace for both sides that have, you know, both of these people have helped me rationalize it a little bit. Uh, in you know, in terms of Houston, does the does the Dusty Baker factor change anything for you at all? Like are you motivated by getting Dusty his first ring? Or is that sort of a, a non-factor?
1: No, absolutely. I think that, you know, at one point I had said that like basically the best that we can root for in the series is like Dusty Baker is a nice man versus Jock Peterson wears a pearl necklace and isn't that quirky? Uh, (laughs) Obviously, like I would very much like to get Dusty a ring. However, this is this is an opinion that I hold in contradiction to my best friend who is a Cubs fan and just still hates Dusty Baker. Mm -hmm. And I'm you like usually I enjoy sort of having loyal takes with her so that we're rooting for the same thing. And so she can't even have that. But, you know, by all accounts, he's just like a really great guy. And I think he deserves a championship after this long in baseball. And basically, my view on Dusty Baker is like, he's going to get into heaven. But at the pearly gates, he's just going to have to answer for the elbows of Kerry Wood and Mark Pryor. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Mark prior to this date. I mean, this makes no sense, but he he might be my favorite pitcher of all time. Um that's-
1: I love that. Yeah. I love that so much. I love slightly illogical favorite players.
0: Extremely confusing. I also feel like this is a good time to let you know that I, you know, was a baseball obsessed child and I had um I grew up in Yankee's territory. I had a birthday party is my eighth or ninth birthday party at like a baseball instructional facility in Westchester. And they were going down the line before they started asking everybody who their favorite players were. Um, and it was Jeter, Jeter, Tina Martinez, etc. And when it got to me, I told them uh, my favorite player at the time was Ed Roush of the 1919 Cincinnati Reds. Um, You're so
1: cool. You're just so, so cool. cool. No, no, I cool. mean it sincerely. <laughs> That's a great answer to that question. I do not have such a good answer.
0: I appreciate it. I I don't know why. I was just like a reader of the encyclopedia and the Hall of Fame yearbooks. And I think it was just like something about old reds and underappreciated and and high hit totals. And I was like, yeah, that's I I need to get an Ed Roush autograph. And did I? No, I didn't. But that was my take.
1: (sighs) Amazing. I love it so much. Yeah, I don't I don't I mean, Von Hayes was the first man that I ever loved, and I was mm-hmm. like a toddler, so I don't know why. People will often ask me why, although I think, like, you know, Von Hayes eminently lovable, as was Ed Roush, although I will confess I know less about him. I know almost uh, nothing
0: about him, yeah.
1: yeah. Um but yeah no I just chose. I just I was like 3 years old and I was just like that one. I don't know. He hit a homer probably.
0: Yeah, I chose. I loved Ed rash. I loved Hal Newhouser. Um I don't, I don't mm. know why. Um these are just the guys, but Mark Prior I specifically uh we saw him on the Cape Cod League at like a Team USA scrimmage and so then cool. I read yeah, and I read something saying he was, you know, the draft's top pitcher and from that moment I was like, uh, you know, a devoted follower.
1: Yep. Yeah, it's so fun. I feel like there's just a different sort of emotional attachment when you see somebody before they've come up to the major leagues. Whether that's the Cape Cod League or like the minor leagues or whatever it is. Yeah, that it's just like, yeah, I I saw that guy and I liked him then. So, yeah, that's I love that story.
0: Yeah. I mean, there everybody goes. Now now the world knows. Um the the other side of the coin and I think I'm probably going to Create your answer before I'm even done asking the question, because I think I know where you stand. Awesome. But there, there is the Hank Aaron side of things in terms of this serving as a tribute to Hank's legacy. But then again, There is the fact that the franchise's legacy sort of feels gross in and of itself. And I've seen you advocate for a move to the Atlanta Hammers. So I think, you know, my what about Hank Aaron question is sort of answered by my shirt that says this franchise should be renamed the Atlanta Hammers. Um, Is that sort of where you fall that the better tribute would be just an
1: overhaul? Absolutely. Yes, yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I I really, I was jumping on Joe Posnanski's Atlanta Hammers bandwagon. It was certainly not an idea that I had myself, but yeah, that would be the better tribute. That would be like you know, in some ways, an anti-racist tribute. And I was watching like a really lovely video about Dusty Baker and Hank Aaron, but it was basically like, yeah, Hank Aaron helped Dusty Baker deal with how freaking racist everybody was. And I was like, (laughs) yeah, doesn't actually make me feel super fuzzy about Atlanta franchise. So yeah, I mean, obviously, Obviously, I love Hank Aaron, and, and so I'm not, by no means am I, am I saying that I'm anti-Hammer and Hank. And as a matter of fact, yeah, I, I would be much happier for, I would be much happier to really just have a sort of like, er, division rivals uh, dislike of the franchise rather than the current, just like, just gross, just gross feeling about yeah. it.
0: Yeah, it's yeah. it's grimy. It's it's bad, and so it's it's hard to pull the heartstrings for something this objectively sort of grimy. I, I is right, this... if you cared, yeah.
1: if you cared about black people, you wouldn't move your stadium to yeah. a place where none of the black fans can go see it. <laughs> I yeah. mean, not none, but yes.
0: Yeah, that's a, a sort of objective fact of the matter. Yeah. Is is this for you then the most detestable MLB team at the moment, uh, and and also fan base like is. Are the Braves the team that you feel the most antipathy for out of out of any team?
1: I actually realized that yes, though though You know, so I construct a complex flowchart of baseball allegiances so that I can usually and I mean, really, this whole series has been about the breakdown of the complex flow chart of baseball allegiances, because I'm just like, I can't even like, yes, technically, I know where these fall on the flow chart, but I still just don't feel good about it. And I was, I've been realizing in the last few years that, you know, despite always being like, well, the Yankees are on the bottom, always, that I kind of personally... Oh, you know, like if we just if we had a rerun of like 1996 or 1999, I would be like, well, I, I mean, it would not be a similar situation to right now, but I would yeah. be like, I think I'm just rooting for Atlanta to lose more, <laughs> frankly, um, which is crazy. And I feel like I might uh, lose some additional friends over that assertion. Um, I mean, in terms of the fan base every fan base, every team fan base is terrible in their own way, whether it's entitlement or like thinking that they're the best fan base is also a way to be the worst fan base, (laughs) or whether it's like showing up in the third inning and leaving in the seventh, Um, except for, I mean, I don't know, Mariners fans seem pretty great. They do. But I'm, I'm aware that like, I'm a Phillies fan. And so I, in terms of like the overall fan base, I can throw no stones from my glass house but i will say a couple of things i mean i alluded to this earlier but just sort of like the entrenchment of a section of the atlanta fan base on their team name and the like racist cultural appropriation it just feels terrible in an entirely different way like it's not even about the sport anymore and some of them will act like they want to engage in a conversation about it but then like if you're like oh well here are these studies or these articles written by indigenous from the indigenous point of view, they just engage in a sort of like run around whataboutism that gives me this like tiny, tiny window into just how exhausting it must be to be non white in this country. And obviously it's not everybody like I have, like, I have many friends, many wonderful people who are Yankees fans and I love them. And I have many wonderful friends who are Atlanta fans and they are like thoughtful human beings and they hate the chop and they would never do it, but it's still their team and they're going to root for them. And I understand that, like, I'm definitely Mm -hmm. not asking anybody like who was raised on Braves fandom to not root for their team now that they're in the World Series. But it's, you know, it's sort of, it's like the same way that though I am a Phillies fan, I will never boo somebody on my own team and I will never like heckle somebody from an opposing team, despite the fact that those are like Phillies fan attributes. But speaking of heckling someone from an opposing team, I am here to say that for me personally, no other fan base gets in my Twitter mentions about literally anything like The fans from Atlanta like no other fan base decides to come to my Twitter account after they have won a game against the Phillies as if that's like a hard thing to do instead of like usually the inevitable outcome and there are a few fans who will post gifts of their team on everything that I post like whether or not it even has anything to do about baseball this is not a joke Earlier this year, I had posted something about, like, if you want to donate to the victims of the earthquake in Haiti, and somebody posted a GIF of, like, a celebrating Dansby Swanson, and I was like, seriously, dude? Yeah, so, I mean, I think that 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 perhaps, like, my engagement in sort of the baseball discourse to the extent that i am engaged in it and like it, existence as i put this in huge quotes like twitter baseball personality which is totally ridiculous to me perhaps that has made me like more of a target but it's only the fans from atlanta i don't get other fans coming in and just like deciding to troll me so yeah i think that that's um that that probably has contributed to the development of my antipathy
0: That's so funny because it's an unfortunate thing for me to admit again. But for me, that's Houston fans. I get Houston fans not every day, but when I write a critical article, you're not allowed to, um, I mean, in terms of much less impactful whataboutism, there is a lot of very fun on field Houston whataboutism where, you know, they would love, they really want to unseal the Yankees letter. Which, like, I'm not even sure if that's something you're aware of as a fan of not the Yankees, but there is apparently somewhere a letter detailing the Yankees involvement in some sort of sign stealing scandal that has to do with this DraftKings participant lawsuit. Um, There's a letter I have
1: heard about this. Yeah, I'm not remembering all of the details off the top of my head. But yeah, totally.
0: It's not helpful. And they shouldn't be remembered. But it's like a letter (laughs) detailing some indiscretion. And there's one for the Red Sox and there's one for the Astros, too. And none of them have been opened. And I think I'm a relatively reasonable Yankee fan. And I would have no problem with this letter being unsealed. That sounds good. We should know what it says if it says something. But the other two are still sealed as well. We like we know what we know about the Astros because of Ken Rosenthal and Evan Drellich is reporting. We don't know what's in this letter, but they love to come visit my mentions whenever I have something critical to say about the Astros to tell me I don't want the Yankees letter unsealed. I'm fighting against the unsealing of so and it's just this like it's a whataboutism that's basically to say like because my letter is sealed i'm worse and it's just like a very (laughs) frustrating thing to have to deal with when like of course all cheating is bad um yeah so i I sort of want to know like where do you stand on this 2017 cheating now Mm -hmm. four years through the looking glass like have you as a as a fan of a team like as a baseball fan but of a fan of a team that wasn't necessarily run over by the 2017 through 19 astros have you moved on, you know, a lot, just a bit partially or, or sort of where's your mentality there?
1: Yeah, well, I think, first of all, a kind of a factor in the in the parallel that I set up earlier about my ex-boyfriend versus the person who put me in a trash can as a <laughs> yes, child, of yes. um, which, yeah, don't let the trash can throw you off. That is not uh the Astros in this analogy. <laughs> I used to love the Astros. Like I used to I mean I wasn't an official fan but like I was all in on like how exciting they were as a team in 2017. And so I think that in some ways my relationship to it is very different than people who are like we lost because they were doing this thing. Mm-hmm. Instead I'm just I feel like I felt sad and disillusioned by it a little bit. But I also think that the revelation of the banging scheme didn't plunge me into vitriolic hatred as much as it did a lot of other people. And one of the reasons was I was already very disillusioned by the franchise. So I'd already had this precipitous decline in how I felt about the organization after they decided that they were going to exploit the market inefficiency and trade for Roberto Osuna, mm-hmm. who's, you know, I mean, I understand that the Phillies have Odubo Herrera, they have somebody also accused of domestic violence on their on on our team, but they did not trade for him. And actually they tried very, very, very hard not to play him at all, whether or not that's like something that they're legally allowed to do, which they're not. Yeah. Um, but like, I mean, as soon as domestic violence allegations were so bad that the mother of his child was like, "I don't want to be in the same country with that person," <laughs> um, and so then the whole Brandon Taubman incident. You know, I'm so effing glad that we got Osuna in the postseason in 2019, and then the way that the organization handled it—that they just came out and they were like, "We're just gonna, we're just gonna lie. We're just gonna say that's not what happened." And it's like there were a whole bunch of like sports writers in that room who saw it, what had happened. So like by the world series of 2019, I was like, I don't even like this organization anymore. I just like the nationals who I was actually rooting for throughout the entirety of that postseason. I've just always kind of loved the nationals. I don't yeah. know. So, um, but I had the thought at the time, like, well, but these players, like, I still like these players. Um, And then the way that the players on the team decided to handle the fallout, that was what actually sort of hardened my heart, which, again, I wouldn't describe as, like, flaming hatred so much as an inability to root for them. Mm -hmm. It was just sort of like if they'd come out and said, like, we're really sorry and we just got swept up in our desire to win but we see that what we did was wrong, like, I think, I mean... I still I still don't I I wouldn't have been a fan of the team anyway because like I already wasn't by that point. Yeah. Um but like for a while it made me kind of sad because I was like it was a good it was a good team and they probably could have won anyway. Like I sort of I don't I don't know that I want to make this parallel but actually maybe it's a perfectly appropriate parallel to make like it's like Barry Bonds like he would have been maybe the best baseball player ever anyway mm-hmm. but now there's this pall of doubt um and so i feel just yeah like like <laughs> i'm not mad i'm disappointed <laughs> about it kind of so yeah i i do think that like if if the phillies who you know the only thing that i've loved longer than the phillies are my parents like it's it's the phillies are my family so if the astros had stomped on the faces of the phillies i would feel emotionally different about it but it's more of like an intellectual hatred than it Mm -hmm. is an emotional one i guess
0: yeah it's also i mean it's a hatred of jose altuve's bad tattoo obviously
1: which isn't that bad (laughs) it's not even that bad a tattoo
0: um yeah Yeah, Yeah, but it's
1: also some of the stuff, like the buzzer stuff. I was like, that Mm. didn't happen. No. Like, in in my opinion, obviously, like, we can never... Yeah, I was just like, this this has gone too far. Like, obviously, you know, Carlos Beltran hit a trash can. There were no buzzers. Just calm down, people.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's like wet, sticky confetti on Josh Reddick's neck, which was... Yeah, that's clearly what it was. (laughs) Yeah, Um, and like
1: a wrinkle in Jose Altuve's jersey. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, the fact that Alex Cora is back has sort of lengthened my hatred of this whole scandal really, which like isn't totally a fair fair perspective, but just the fact that the fact that it feels, it does feel like Houston took a real hit. Um, Theoretically, the core is still there the the GM is gone and the manager is gone and and the bench coach is gone. But the fact that Alex Cora just cropped up back in my life uh, right where he was before the scandal broke and he lost his job is just sort of a, it's a strange feeling, and so it's just made it's it's made the scandal feel like it's lasted longer to me than it probably really has, or or to most people who, again, you know, look at Framber Valdez and look at Jose Arquidi, and are just kind, and obviously Zach Greinke, who we all love, and are just kind of like, you know, the, can the plucky Astros pitching staff deliver enough to give them, you know, give the offense a chance, rather than sort of feeling like the scandal is still festering?
1: Yeah. No, I understand that, and I, and and I I do feel like yes, particularly if so. I lived in Boston for seven years, so I have an, aff- an affection for the Red Sox instead of an antipathy towards them. Mm-hmm. So I I understand specifically if you're like this person, this team steamrolled my team by cheating, and then the person who was really responsible for it, because you know I think obviously there was so much that was complicated about like AJ Hinch's. Uh, trying to get them to stop but his inability to make them stop and like what does that say about him as a manager and his power in the clubhouse and all of that noise but like yeah that Alex Cora was clearly uh to blame for those for for the whole uh banging scheme situation um for him to then move to this other division rival you're just like man you know, it's never over for me. Like some things, some wounds just never heal. I get that. Cause it's yeah. like that, that person is not allowing it to heal for you. I no, understand that not. completely. Uh, yeah.
0: But I mean, again, I completely understand why an objective person would be like, okay, Yankees fan, uh, shut your mouth. But for me, that is sort of what I keep running into. Um, I need these, I need help more than anyone. I think as game six approaches, um, You have managed to get through the whole series so far (laughs) intact um, and and able to talk about it. Um, I I want (laughs) to know if you have any specific tips for hate watching a sporting event like this that you can't look away from. Cause I mean, I am, you know, I said, Ed Roush was my favorite player. Obviously I'm a baseball fan. I have watched every minute of this. I I can't, except for, I was on a flight for game one. I missed game one. I missed the four run inning that a rod loved from game two when he said that this was a slap in the face to analytics fans because Jose Siri hit an infield single, whatever that means. Um, But I've watched most of this or at least all that I can get in front of a television for, but it hasn't been easy. How have you dealt with this? What are your hate watching tips?
1: I mean, my number one tip is be an addict, just be an addict and realize that there's about to be no more baseball for a while. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that's really what it is. Like, it just, it really feels like this is sort of my baseball addiction hitting rock bottom that I'm just like, oh man. <laughs> and there was that time that I watched the World Series with the Astros versus the Braves. Um, but I mean, the <laughs> other thing is multitask. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I just, I, I, I will not lie and say that I have been watching this World Series in the way that I have watched like World Series for the last, I won't say 20 years, but like 15, 12 to 15, at least. Yeah, just I'm kind of like, nah, all right, I'm just going to go to the kitchen and get something and yeah, I'll just like I'm watching, but like I'm also working on this thing. Uh, I'm not proud to admit it, but you've forced me to admit it on air. So that's the truth.
0: (laughs) It's just, I mean, it's funny because I usually, I'm completely aligned and I find like the sound of baseball is so pleasant. And, you know, if it's a game I don't necessarily care about, I like to have it on in the background. But this World Series in particular, when you're just listening to the sound of the game, it's the tomahawk chop every couple of minutes. So you're like, oh, great, that's the sound of the game? Cool.
1: Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, no. And I mean, something that we can, something that I can, uh, tell people about the one or two games that are left for us is there's going to be no more Tomahawk chop. Mm -hmm. Like I'm like, yay. I don't have to listen to the Tomahawk chop until the Phillies go back to Atlanta. Um, sometime next year. I mean, God willing, right. CBA pending. Um, so, so yeah, that's a, that's a thing we can all cheer about everybody. I mean, everybody except for it's sort of like, and I think honestly, this has been part of my pain was I'm sure that you saw the kind of breakdown of like, who's rooting for Mm -hmm. Atlanta and who's rooting for Houston. And it was like basically the entire country. And I was like, (laughs) no, it's not true. You know, like all the more that everybody is just like, well, you have to get behind Atlanta because how can you root for Houston? I'm like, don't tell me what to do, which is of course, I guess a very, um, a very, Atlanta baseball fan kind of a response to have I guess.
0: <laughs> <laughs> sure, but you're you're allowed to be prickly against, you know, that proclivity for sure. Um yeah, yeah. one final parting shot. I mean, it's a baseball podcast. I feel like we have to do predictions. Do you do you have a prediction for game 6 and beyond? Do you have any lean in where we're going? Does it feel like Houston stole the momentum in game 5 or was that like the Dodgers Braves game when everybody decided the Dodgers were going to erase the Braves lead. And then they just absolutely didn't do that.
1: Yeah, it's a great question. And I mean, you know, on on the one hand, um, though, obviously, uh, I love narratives, because that's what I do, uh, like, <laughs> in my real life is, a, you know, I'm a storyteller in, of various varieties. Um, but yeah, I just never really bought momentum, because obviously, you know, if anybody had momentum, it was Atlanta, when Duval hit that uh grand slam in the first inning and we were all like well that's it that's the series here it is at least like our pain will be over I guess um although no I was like please 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 don't win the World Series in Atlanta like if you're gonna win at least win in Houston um so it's a hard question and obviously there's there's the the uh, Braves history of losing in the postseason more often than they win but I also feel like that's not but particularly predictive here. I guess it sort of it comes down to it kind of comes down to tonight. Uh, Obviously, and just kind of the, you know, the Astros are starting Luis Garcia on three days rest. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's something that I think he's only done like one other time. And it was, you know, entirely different context because I think he'd been a starter or he hadn't been a starter. He had been a reliever before. So It's kind of like best case scenario, we're probably seeing three innings of him, you know, versus like the Atlanta actually has a starter on the opposite side, you know, hooray. Uh, But, you know, Freed has not been particularly good the last couple of times out. And I think it's he was just throwing his fastball a lot less. And I guess, you know, maybe that's because the the Astros are so good at hunting the fastball um, in his last start, but that's not going to be different this time. And I think just think, you know, like his, his um, it seemed like his command wasn't quite as good. So, yeah, I sort of, I don't know. I think obviously because I'm, I'm rooting for, I'm rooting for Atlanta to lose more than I'm rooting for Houston to lose. I hope at the very least that it goes to seven games, I guess, because also I'm an addict and like <laughs> I'm watching this and uh, on like a, spiritually, I'm like on a, a bare mattress and um, injecting the baseball into some kind of wound. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. I'm going to go ahead and predict that it will go seven games but maybe it will still be Atlanta.
0: I fall the exact same way. I think I, I I'm anticipating seven just because mostly because of Freed's struggles, but I, I will say, I think I'm rooting for all I want to see. I would like these two teams tonight to exceed the Red Sox Dodgers record for that longest world series game in all of history. And then whoever, either the Braves win the title tonight and that's fine. Or it goes seven, but I would like to see something insane that I've never seen You know, I I want records to be set before the series is over so I can at least look back and say that was the record-settingly weird Astros Brave series instead of that was the really unpleasant Astros Brave series.
1: Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, you know... uh, uh the first two games were like really snooze fests. Pretty bad. and some of the, the, the subsequent three games were slightly better um despite the background of the t- tomahawk chop um but yeah it's been not like a particularly exciting world series even if you're just like rooting for fun baseball and like lead changes and stuff like that yeah i mean i do like the notion of a very long game because it's just basically like these two teams punching each other and so i guess i'm here for that <laughs> It's like one
0: last (laughs) argument against all the people who are doing the tweets like these games are ending at 1142 like baseball is dead. And it's like, okay, well, let's let's see you enjoy this. Yeah, Um, there's
1: just there's I don't know so much of the of the baseball is dead. I mean, I I get why people are upset, you know, and that's because like unless one of these teams is your team, it's it's been like not a particularly exciting World Series. But like. On the other hand, I just feel like there's been so much hand-wringing, and people are forgetting to take into consideration that, like, it's 2021, and we had a shortened season last year. And so, like, yes, obviously, uh, you know, Atlanta running out a couple of bullpen games, we've been heading in that direction a little bit, but also, like, you know, they're missing Charlie Morton. And then they thought they were going to have Charlie Morton. They mm-hmm. thought maybe they were going to have Wascari Noah and they didn't have him. Mm-hmm. So like, but what did we think last year was going to be at issue this year? Starter length specifically, like not just the kind of, you know, everybody is heading towards a Tampa Bay Rays model of using their pitchers, but just, we knew that starters were going to, were going to tire. And, you know, the larger, larger context is that the postseason is longer than it used to be. Like, it's not that much longer than it was 15 years ago, but it's longer than it was 30 years ago. And we know a lot more now about, you know, what mileage does to a pitcher's arm and that the more innings that a pitcher throws, the less good they are likely to be at the end of the year. So it's yeah, I think. Everybody just being so up in arms about Ian Anderson being taken out of the game, you know, I was it's not babying him like he's less likely to be good for a long time. By the time he reaches freaking November, he's he's a rookie. And, you know, also, he walked like three guys and hit a batter. So it wasn't like he was, you know, just twirling a gem. Yeah.
0: Yeah, he wasn't that he wasn't that good and then they won the baseball game and then they so, won also yeah.
1: yes exactly then they won the baseball game they got the outcome that they wanted yeah completely
0: yeah. it has been what it has been um i will be right there on my couch alongside you in spirit <laughs> Watching, Indeed. vacuuming, doing homework. I mean, I don't Clang even Playing with
1: have, my dog. Yeah, yeah, I'm not a
0: student, but maybe I'll find homework. I'll write an essay. I mean, that's sort of where I'm at tonight. Um, Ellen, thank you so much for joining. Uh, this was so fun as- This was as much fun as this World Series has been. Not fun at all.
1: Oh, that's the very best compliment you could possibly give. But yeah, it has been really fun. I think this is the most fun I've had all series. So thanks, Adam. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's an extremely big help. Thank you so much. Uh, go, tie. Yay. Ellen Adair dare everybody. That conversation was so pleasant. It almost made you forget that the Houston Astros and Atlanta Braves are playing in the world series. Uh, the world series has been a certified tuppy, but remember baseball is back and also baseball never left. No final flame this week. We'll see you in the next one. Go Braves and Astros by default.